On today's episode, Man City prepare for a historic treble as Man United try and stop that from happening. Brighton affect both ends of the Premier League table as the Gunner title challenge finally flounders. This and much more in the Tokitara podcast. Hello listeners, welcome back to the Toki Taka podcast. I'm Swagat and I'm joined today by RK and Radha who are here to discuss the inevitability and the eventuality of Man City winning a treble. Finally, it seems to be loading and it seems that Southampton are the only thing that stood between Man City and a quadruple. So we shall see how that pans out. But to begin with, yeah, RK is looking a bit lost because that's because Southampton beat City in the League Cup, uh, which is why it's not a quadruple and only a treble. He is looking lost. He is looking lost because you you've just taken away the one trophy that he had this season. You just like wiped it away. He's also having a say in their FA Cup, and you're just completely sweeping all of that under the carpet. Yeah, he's going to come back at you with some Chelsea jibes today. Yeah, no, I, I was wondering how come Southampton are they playing the season opener next season Community Shield? <laughs> I yeah, from the, from the championship. <laughs> anyway, so boys, I think uh, yesterday's Man City game is probably one of the highlights of um, our talking points for uh, this episode. But what are your talking points, RK? I'll give you first go since Radha is busy munching away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a goal-shy team, we finally, uh, you know, welcome back a new goal-scorer or, you know, a goal-scorer who was injured for a long while. So, Garnacho's goal uh, in the injury time. Uh, finally, someone showing, re- uh, you know, really calm finishing skills. So, that's my talking moment of the week. Yeah. And uh, new contract, everything's set, baby on the way. He looks like his life is set, hopefully. Hopefully, he keeps a calm head on his shoulders and doesn't go the Greenwood way, if we are allowed to mention that name on, on football podcasts, as the other more established names seem to be avoiding that name altogether. Anyway, Radha, what's it going to be for you? There are some sentimentalities attached to the Liverpool game coming up, I see. Look, just before before we go there, like... Yeah, that's what makes us the great podcast that we are, right? Swag, we are we are willing to go where the others aren't, stick our nose in where the others aren't. Um, yeah, for for all we care, uh, Greenwood is guilty, right? So, I can we we are willing to take the hard calls here on Talkie Daka. <clears throat> yeah, but coming to my talkie moment of the week, this is part one. Uh, I think I can prelude it by saying part two is coming up next week. Um, pretty much the same call out. It's Robbie, Bobby Firmino um, leaving Liverpool. So part one today, because after the Leicester game, actually not just after the Leicester game, right from around minute 65 uh, and all through minute 80s to the end of the game, it was just the Firmino song being sung at the away end. We were thrashing Leicester, so there was no real home fan support or sound or anything of that sort. It was just the Firmino song non-stop for like 10, 12, 13 minutes. And after the game, it continued as well. And all the Liverpool players got into the song as well and started doing a dance and and were uh, surrounding Firmino. I think you really got the feeling that um, the time is finally here. Uh, absolute hero to me and pretty much I'm sure every 
Liverpool fan that I've met. Uh, we're going to miss him terribly. So part one is my talkie moment for the week. And next week will be the last game at Anfield. And I'm sure it'll be a very difficult watch. And that will be my part two. So next week's talkie moment is going to be Bobby Firmino's actual farewell at Anfield. And and not to forget, there are three others who have already been confirmed that they will be leaving as well. And of course, not as, uh, I don't know, as deserving of the applause, but they've played important bits in the success of Liverpool as well. Yeah, I wouldn't even say, I wouldn't go so far. I think James Milner deserves everything. He's been our vice captain for the last few years as well. And he's absolutely, from the moment Klopp walked in to now, he's been essential in so many ways. So, yeah, he deserves a lot, but Bobby just holds a different place in everybody's hearts. It's like, uh, and again, of course, Oxlade, Chamberlain and Nabi Keita may be in a tier below these two, but Bobby stands in a league of his own. Like, every Liverpool fan loves him. Every Liverpool fan will love him wherever he goes. Um, yeah, it'll be a tough one to watch him play his last, well, he may, hopefully he plays, but yeah, to watch him leave at Anfield. Yeah, I, th- I think Liverpool need to somehow get a formation where they can have all the new and old attacking members on the pitch at the same time. Get Salah, Nunes, Firmino, Diaz, Jota, Gakpo, everyone on. Even if it's for just one minute, basically just passing the bat on if if possible. But anyway, moving on. My talkie point, I think we've discussed a lot of predictions on this uh, podcast all through the season. Sometimes this team is going down, sometimes that team is going down. But Bournemouth are mathematically safe. And <laughs> I will take all the <laughs> all the credit for that. Gary O'Neill didn't do anything. Uh, but the, the most interesting bit was, as soon as that became a certainty, Bournemouth came out on Twitter with this uh, small clip of uh, around a minute and a half worth of video, which basically had every pundit saying uh, Bournemouth are going down at the start of the season and just clipping them all together. At, and at the end, it was like, we're not going down. The owner saying we're not going to go down this season. So, well, kudos to them. And if Nottingham Forest survive, it'll be all three promoted teams surviving. I don't know when was the last time that happened. So that'll be an interesting one to watch out for. But let's get into the Champions League uh, semis. Inter beat Milan and they're through to the final again after, I think, 12, 13 years. I think the last one was when Jose won it with them in the treble season. And on the other side, you've got Man City coming through as a juggernaut, absolutely decimating Real Madrid like no one else has done. 1.54 xg at half time and madrid having an xg of 0.01 it's it's like yeah you you don't even imagine something like this happening it's like the undertaker's streak being broken at wrestlemania or something it has it had that sort of a feel in the first half at least so what are our thoughts on this is this done now finally pep will have his uh, champions league trophy with man city You know, watching the game in the first half with Real Madrid completely on the ropes, it wasn't so much of surprise because, you know, that's how, uh, like, some of their games have been in the last couple of years. And, you know, uh, like, Ottawa was making, uh, like, Ottawa made a couple of great saves. And you always felt like, okay, this is maybe 25-30 minutes that Real Madrid will always kind of see out and then they would start their comeback. But, you know, that never materialized. 
like throughout the first half like for me personally the first 23 minutes till the first goal it was other level of football it was really heavenly i mean really special to watch i think city were almost perfect and they should have scored three or four i think by the time they scored their first goal of all people haland missing real sitters uh, probably his second finish was actually a good finish uh, where cordova pulled out a magnificent save uh, the first one i think was a free header so i i think she, like city should have been out of sight by the time they you know they scored their first goal and the main people in their like uh, like the people who shown are the people who have led their resurrection you know other than kdb and haland who we always talk about it's you know you, you look at lk gundogan grealish and john stones uh, i think you know these three uh, have uh, you know uh, like kind of led the tactical rethink of guardiola of how he wants more control but i think the best player on the pitch by far was bernardo silva uh, he is the go to man for guardiola he takes up any role which he uh, you know guardiola wants him to play and on this day i think he outshone all other even city players playing at a very high standard in that half magnificent half from city yeah i was really shocked i didn't watch the game live um i went to bed thinking this is most probably going to be one of those real madrid smash and grab late victories or something of that sort but i did i, I did have an inkling that okay obviously city might win but and never in my wildest dreams would have imagined a thrashing um uh, like was like the way it was it was definitely the one of the most shocking score lines that i've ever woken up to um watching the game back like yeah it could have been six right it could have been six or seven nil uh, kotwa probably the save of a long time the second halen chance it was just incredible and bernardo silva i mean you go back a few years maybe a couple of years ago and there was a real real chat that bernardo silva is leaving like there was a strong expectation that he's going to be joining i think it was psg at the time i don't remember ba- barcelona exactly. last season as well yeah barcelona and out of nowhere these rumors come these rumors go he ends up staying and he ends up being as important as he always has been uh, it's pretty and if you go back to all the other things that i've hated about city about how they just been getting rid of players who are important right like zinchenko and jesus and sterling without really having the right kinds of replacements and if you think that somehow they managed to hold on to bernardo and still completely keep him integrated in the team so that he's like as important on day 1 as he was on day 0 it's it's pretty incredible and his second goal is probably one of my favorites it just shows the temperament and the the class of the guy like it it pops out and he just cleanly a small cushioned header into the back of the net in a tense situation it was great yeah i think uh, this is definitely a changing of the guard moment not not to say that real won't be back but i think city are finally there and that's it as they've reached the mountain top the everest as one would say um, i think the treble is incoming um, i united are i think a better chance to stop that from happening than inter milan and the city press uh, the like the moment that i felt something is really off today was a couple of times you know where modric was robbed of the ball uh, in normal position when he was kind of taking control of the ball and he got immediately got robbed of it 
and and then there was another like a third moment where you know modric in his usual calm calculated way to control of the ball he turned around looked for two or three people but the city pressing was so good man marking was so good he just couldn't find a pass and like within two seconds the ball was out of his feet and he was staring at people around him saying you know what's wrong today with you know you guys so looking at that sense of you know kind of discomfiture on modric's face i like i have barely seen modric lose a ball in years and he lost it thrice in maybe you know 10 15 minutes and that was the moment where it felt like okay madrid are still capable of coming back obviously you know as long as it's 1-0 2-0 2-0 they can come back but something is really really off is what i felt uh and yeah i mean john stones he was kind of uh, you know cropping up if you see the first goal he crops up right in the opposition box he controls the ball turns around and then recycles it so city uh, whatever tactics that they have been working on with respect to you know pushing up one of the center backs forming a box in midfield i it's it's it looked like it kind of reached the zenith yesterday and like whatever kind of fiddling that guardiola has done the whole season since march it's looked like maybe his you know one of his best well oiled machines and yeah i mean on this pod we have been calling out saying that you know he is doing too much of fiddling he's not getting it right city looking ordinary all of which was true but the, the, that guy is an alchemist also shout out to walker who had the better of vinicius yesterday uh, completely locked him up didn't give him much of an opportunity i remember at the end of the first leg they shared a good hug together and they were like yeah it was a good fight against you and we'll see you in the second uh, leg but uh, rk i also had a question about uh, rudiger you remember we talked about rudiger in the first leg and how he had haland quite under control as much under control you can have haland but uh, he was missing from the starting lineup and uh, that made an impact i would say not just in yeah. terms of his capability but also in terms of how the overall structure felt and that is probably something that helped uh, that lack of control that you were talking about for modric and co yeah i i was really shocked to see uh, rudiger not in the starting 11 when he was fit for me after watching the first leg he w- he would have been the first name i put on the team sheet because over the whole season you can't think of any other name you know who's who's done so well against haland over 90 minutes uh, in the way that he did so i mean to to not see rudiger i think that was a big big blunder from ancelotti which i didn't see coming at all and it's not that militao is a bad defender but you could immediately see that you know any new guy comes in suddenly in a second leg you can't i mean and rudiger had a really high standard that he set for someone to control haland and uh, like there were even moments couple of moments in the first 10 15 minutes where you know the like really good cross came into the box militao won the header you know in front of haland but it wasn't a good header it was just kind of looping up waiting to be contested by other people and then the keeper came and claimed it so you could see that you know militao is not as confident as rudiger i i, I don't think anybody can be as confident as rudiger in general but that was a big big miss from madrid and i don't know whether Uh, you know what was their actual strategy coming into the match i think they have had so many comebacks over the years that you know the, uh, uh, like probably they have started thinking that you know we can we can be like uh, you know like we can get outboxed and we'll fight back i i think that level of kind of a bit of complacency or overconfidence in how they should approach the game i think that was their undoing because 
yesterday there was no way back for them at all yeah and uh, ratha mentioned about uh, how pep is ruthless in terms of letting people go the players that he doesn't need uh, sterling and the likes and it's also the players he gets in so for example if listeners would go back and listen to probably the first or the second episode of the season um, ashwin i think mentioned about akanji being a uh, transfer target for leicester and he, he he came in with his bundesliga hat on he was like yeah, yeah leicester might do a good thing uh, getting akanji and akanji is now an integral element of the man city defensive lineup and he is he he wasn't even in the starting lineup for dortmund at the end of last season so he's he he's got the correct idea for which player he wants and if that means calling the likes of a zinchenko or a sterling then he's he's willing to do that yeah. i don't know maybe like, maybe like so- you can even look at how you know ake has done uh, ake wasn't really that involved and whenever he's played the season he's he's kind of fitted you know hand and glove and then of course you know jack grealish i think on this pod also uh, you know we have trolled him quite a bit in good humor and in bad humor like uh, uh, like there was this funny incident uh, you know where he where he trolled uh, 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 like the newcastle winger i don't know why i keep forgetting his name Al- almiron you know, almiron so but but he's come back and proven all of us wrong uh, so you know huge kudos to grilish as well yeah he's a really annoying guy i mean i i don't like appreciating him uh, even when he was at villa and villa were the underdog team and typically you like the underdog teams i never really liked grealish much is I, i would i would actually seem like a very mild um my my opinion may seem very mild when it comes to um, grealish when compared to ab who just is is ab is like grealish is like his boomer nightmare like everything that he hates uh, hates in football is brought alive by jack grealish with his with his like annoying falling and crying and uh and he i think ab has a problem with his shin pads as well uh, anything and everything that could be a problem of hate but yeah i don't like i don't like him much as a player but there's no doubt about it he's really fit into the system this this year i think when they got rid of um, jesus and sterling i wondered whether they're putting too much of their belief on jack grealish and mares to kind of take you through an entire season and be the first choice of, without too much depth um i think grealish has definitely stepped up phil foden has had his ups and downs i thought he would be the constant all through the season and that these two would kind of fit in around him but phil foden has ended up being the up and down guy and grealish has been the constant so yeah i think kudos to him and pep i think i have not liked pep in the past as well i think all the things you mentioned about the tinkering i love to point that out because that shows such a great flaw in this guy when there are very few flaws um but yeah i think he's finally it's, it's about time i have to say but he's finally i think figured out that his team plan a is pretty much good enough to beat any other team in the world you don't have to try different things you don't have to try anything stupid so yeah i mean kudos to city i fully 1000% expect them to win the champions league i'm less certain about their fa cup so maybe the treble won't happen but champions league all their guns are going to be blazing in that direction i think it's definitely going to them this season you know our viewers can rest assured that whatever compliments that 
I think all of us have given cities with a big stone on our heart. So, so that that goes without saying. But I I thought uh, you know I've reserved this kind of temperament for Florent Maluda. So so Grealish is the new Maluda. Maybe maybe so. We will have to ask Ab to return from his. So Jones of his work life and make some time for the pod to fill, finally spin spill the beans. But um, yeah, I think uh, RK. Yeah, is we should we should definitely have a section, you know, in the season ender, which is the player he or list of all the players he hates. I think that will be a long list. Yeah, it'll be Ub's pet peeves would be one big section, but. I see that RK sidestepped the question of the FA Cup final very nicely and neatly, not talking anything about it. I think, uh, look, the league is done. Just put a pin in it. The Champions League, I think we are all united in saying that it's going City's way. It's extremely unlikely that Inter will have something to do about it unless Lukaku can finally score all the goals he missed for Belgium in the World Cup game. But uh, the FA Cup final that falls in between, is there a chance that Pep slightly undercooks the FA Cup final because the Champions League final is a week later? Look, I was talking to a colleague today and about the game yesterday. He's also a United fan and he made one statement which I'll repeat here. He told me that watching Real Madrid against City looked like United playing City. So, I, so... You know, you you know what's going to happen on June third. If if City no, come think, up like that, no chance. No, I don't think they're going to undercook. Uh, there's no. They have an entire week to prepare. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they'll come out with their starting team. What I do think can happen is that mentally, I don't see them being as glued in as they were in the Real Madrid second leg, or they will be against Inter Milan. At the end of the day, the the FA Cup is. It's like a been there, done that thing for them. Are they go- I, and I mean, I may just be absolutely off the mark here because they are a champion team and champion teams don't just turn up on like the odd occasion. They turn up every time it's important. So they'll probably come out and dominate the game and they're good enough to beat United handsomely. Uh, but I do feel that if there is a chance, there is more of a chance in the United game for them to slip up and definitely no chance of them slipping up against Inter Milan. Yeah, I agree. Like, of uh, like the league is pretty much. Uh, we don't even need to talk about it between Inter and United. It's you know, uh, United has a better chance than Inter, especially because there would be at least they wouldn't have the clear you know or uh, even relative home advantage. I'm sure that the United fans uh, you know will be louder at Wembley. Uh, I, like I'm reading that City are failing to fill up their allocation for that uh, you know like for the final. So hopefully the crowd will help and. You know, it's it's a big moment. Like uh, everyone knows that United, it's it's the onus is on United to stop City from winning a treble. So I am expecting at least some intensity from United, but definitely not expecting United to win that match. Yeah, we shall see. We shall see. I think this will be a good, tasty one one or two weeks of football uh, with Man City at the focus of it. Uh, right. Coming back to the league, as we said, the league title challenge is pretty much done. I think Arsenal need to win all the games and even then City just need one win from their final two or three games to to get the title. So not much point in discussing that. But I think uh, what's left is the the 
race for the Champions League spots and the relegation battle. But I think Brighton are affecting both ends of the table. They they beat Arsenal, they beat Man United, then they went ahead and lost to Everton, basically help, helping Everton potentially staying up and uh, troubling Man United and bringing Liverpool back into the race for the top four. And I did say last episode that RK is jinxing and there's no hope for uh, Liverpool to have a shot at the top four race. But uh, I think with the way the Brighton-United game panned out, there's... There is still scope for uh, a United or a Newcastle slip. It doesn't need to be at the expense of Man United. It can be at the expense of Newcastle United as well. But Liverpool are in an amazing run of form. So that might be something that uh, we need to keep an eye out for. And uh, listener, as we record, it's, it's just a few hours before it's Newcastle versus Brighton. So that game might confuse things even further. It's it's virtually the, the race for the Champions League spots is basically what the IPL season table looks like right now. It's like every team can go through and none of them can go through at the same time. But I would still say that United are probably better positioned with the fixtures that they have and the fact that you just need one win or two wins. Just two wins and you'll be done, right? Two yeah, wins. United need uh, uh, two wins. Uh, same for Newcastle and, as well. Yeah, both Newcastle and United, exactly. So it's and the good thing for United is Newcastle is in the same boat as well. So um, there's always one fallback. I think looking at the fixtures as well. I think if the minuscule chance now, first of all, this never should have been a chance. I think nine points and ten points behind with uh, what was it? Seven, six games, seven games to go. It should be a done deal. Um, both Newcastle and United have slipped up quite significantly. Um, but now, given current, given the situation we are in right now, I think United dropped points in their two toughest fixtures, which were away fixtures against Brighton and West Ham. Uh, so you, if you were going to expect them to drop points, you would have expected them in those two games. I think from now on, it should be pretty straightforward for United. Newcastle, on the other hand, play Brighton later tonight and then they play Leicester who is of course almost dead and buried. You can never tell what happens in such games although they were really woeful against Liverpool and in the last game of the season which probably is the most likely game they'll win is against Chelsea. So there is some scope for them to drop points. Um, Brighton and Chelsea and any other season you would think is like two games where they can potentially drop points Uh, but Chelsea this time have not really inspired that confidence that um, that, that they can take something off Newcastle and Leicester are probably just not good enough. So, even if Brighton do beat Newcastle, I think it'll still be enough to finish in the top four. I, th- I think Chelsea's presence in both Newcastle and Man United's fixtures list basically gives them more comfort and confidence that they have this fixture to fall back upon, both of them, which is why Liverpool are probably still the underdogs here. Yeah, Chelsea, I think, are more or less, uh, it's been a while now and they're just waiting for it to end. Every match is, uh, you know, another exercise in some kind of torture. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Chelsea is probably, uh, you know, if consider yourself a good team this season, you should be able to beat them, especially at home. So, United are playing Chelsea at home. But, uh, yeah, it's it's like the kind of, you know, Newcastle have been uh, blowing hot and cold. You never know in the last few weeks which game, how they are going to turn up. And United have been a problem, have a, you know, have a big problem in away games. But 
yeah uh, i do expect that they will perform well against bournemouth because bournemouth barely have anything to play for so i would be very surprised if either newcastle or united don't end up in top 4 uh, but you know when the race gets a bit heated and you can't afford to really drop too many more points you never know how players react so i mean and and of course liverpool we have to also uh, you know acknowledge the fact that they have won seven consecutive games so it's not like liverpool have given any margin for error for other teams to drop points so that's that's also the reason why it's become so close and of course talking of liverpool another guy that i like trolling just to i think pull rather's leg alexander arnold what a goal he scored dude i i i don't remember the stat exactly right now but there's a stat so i think it says it's something after april 9th or or something like that let me just quickly pull it up but yeah alexander arnold has been uh, absolutely incredible since this tactical change this positional change um and the stat goes something like assists key passes um uh, recoveries three more metrics he's ranking number 1 in the league since april 9 when we made that uh, when we made that tactical switch he's clearly back to enjoying himself um moving to that role in midfield and he's really i mean i used to think that okay he's a lot a lot of his things are done in like a large amount of space like he hits long balls 60 yard balls he can play beautiful crosses in from the from the wings and i thought he needed that space to to be at his best but in the last few games playing in the position that he's had he's had plenty of opportunities to play like chip through balls the likes of which javi and iniesta uh, used to do for barcelona in very small spaces and he's able to do that as well so he has all the other stuff the the long range passing and the the one touch passing and all of that but some of the more the cuter passes and the uh, the quick thinking passes i think he's pulled that out of the bag as well he looks an absolute natural while playing in that position but obviously there's the complication that he's not actually playing in that position it's a very weird uh, system that we are playing right now um, but yeah i mean he's been amazing now for the last 4 5 games and probably been our best player and yeah i mean more like i hope this gives him some confidence going into the next season um and a little bit of a predicament on our uh, what system we play next season as well so yeah good times i think for trent and uh, things are looking good for liverpool as well it's it's not a coincidence perhaps that the first time we have all our top players back all the attacking players back uh, and at the same time having at least a week between each game everybody's having time to train their teams that liverpool are looking a lot better now i think whenever klopp has had the opportunity to train with the team for a long time things look good so it's good to see that it gives hope that it's not one of those you know the seventh season syndrome things where it spirals into an uncontrollable abyss there's clear improvement that we've seen in the last say seven eight games a few of them we won particularly the first two i think we won despite being poor uh, but the next few definitely we've picked up and the last four or five games we've been very strong do you see a situation think- next season where uh, you play that backup right back what's his name calvin ramsey in at right back and move trent up permanently into midfield do you think that's a possibility haven't seen much of him though see i think if that is going to be the case then it's not going to be calvin ramsey it will have to be a new starting right back uh, i don't think that's going to happen i think they're going to go back to what it was and uh, the midfield that they do sign will have responsibilities to shield alexander arnold uh, 
like Henderson and Fabinho have had for a long period of time. I think the mobility loss of Fabinho and Henderson have caused the current situation that we're in as much as Alan's, Arnold's uh, bad form as well. Um, so hopefully with some new players and some more mobility and mobility and uh, better legs, we should be in a better position as well. Uh, but if we do decide to make the switch uh, permanently, I'm, I now don't have any doubt that he can do it. Um, I think we'll need a new right back because Calvin Ramsey, one, was a, he's meant to be a part, uh, a number two, I think. He's meant to be somebody's understudy. Uh, he's young and I, we haven't seen enough of, of him in a Liverpool shirt at all for him to be a starter. Brighton, uh, you know, talking of Brighton, they are also having a, you know, and a lot of hinges on today's match, but they also have an outside chance of, you know, somehow being able to finish up there. Uh, but, I mean, even more of an outside chance than Liverpool, but I I think, uh, you know, what a performance against Arsenal. It's, uh, you don't, like you knew that the title race is over, but Arsenal were still looking to, you know, get all the points that they could. And, I think the first half was a bit of an even game. I remember Arsenal, you know, being slightly ahead of the game at that point, even though the score was 0-0. But what a second half from Brighton, especially after getting the lead, the way that, you know, Brighton controlled the ball uh, and, you know, controlled the tempo of the game. You know, you, you don't see that even from more established players and established sides like, you know, Manchester United, for example. But, you know, that kind of know-how and that kind of coaching that, you know, uh, like Deserby has done to that team with so many youngsters to have that much of nows and, you know, maturity of how to control a game was amazing to see. And, I mean, uh, special mention of two players, Kaisedo and McAllister. I have been seeing a lot of, you know, sentimental posts from Kaisedo after the game. I think, uh, you know, where he injured uh, Martinelli. So, he's he's been very apologetic about it. So, I, I don't have much doubt in my mind that Kaisedo is going to end up at Arsenal uh, like this summer. But, McAllister, at the start of the season, I used to think that he's a kind of an underrated jewel. Like, he doesn't really, uh, probably, you know, he's a very hardworking kind of player is what I thought. But whatever I've seen of him, you know, since the World Cup and after that, he seems like the real deal, you know, that you would want from a kind of hybrid 8-10 kind of a player. There's a lot of competition for him from United and Liverpool. Let's see where he ends up. Yeah, I think unfortunately for all his suitors, his World Cup win just added a few more millions to his uh, his transfer value. So we shall see. I think uh, listeners will keep an eye out for uh, all of that and you will hear one or two special pods during the summer window as well where we discuss some of these transfer outgoings and incomings. You know, just, just a question to you guys. I think we were discussing it on, uh, you know, on the group as well. Uh, with respect to, you know, how Arsenal have kind of fallen away and uh, what, like, uh, like from a next season perspective for Arsenal finishing on 85-87 points, leading by miles at the halfway stage, do they, is it something that Arteta needs to build? Is it something that Arteta is lacking in to kind of finish the season strongly or is it about getting another 2-3 players with a, you know, with a championship mentality in the squad? It's probably a mixture of both of them, which is a very NBA-style answer. But uh, you do realize that they, you you can call it bottling, but they did suffer a loss of confidence going into the run. They had that lead. If they had not 
dropped those points against Southampton and West Ham, etc., this would still be a different chat that we would be ha- having right now. So it's not just the presence and aura of Man City. It was also a, a lack of performance at Arsenal's end. So definitely they do need some more strengthening in terms of capability, but also mentality. In terms of Arteta's capability and his management, I'm not sure because I think he is his team is beyond where we expected them to be at the end of the season. This is a slightly more unexpected twist and performance uh, for Arsenal this season. So I'm interested to see if they can sustain this next season anyway, even with reinforcements, if there is if the other challenges like Newcastle, like Man United potentially with under new ownership, etc., etc., will Arsenal still be capable of uh, bringing out the big guns or will it be uh, reverting back to type, considering also that they didn't have Europe this season or, or not Champions League this season and that will also put some more pressure on them next season. So, I, I'm not so sure about uh, what Arteta needs to do further, but that's only because I'm not sure what he needs to do. Maybe Radha has some better insight on that than me. I think I think more of the same. I don't think anything suggests that this has been a fluke or a freak of a season. Uh, they have got consistently better at, at what they do. Perhaps this season has been a surprise in that their jump from a top four club or a top five club to a top two club happened quite suddenly. But yeah, they were blessed by the fact that Chelsea and Liverpool had huge unexpected drop-offs as well. And of course, City also had a drop-off from their usual levels. Uh, So they were helped by that. But from a progression point of view, I think it's just more of the same. Um, maybe Maybe if City is like all guns blazing next season, they won't be in a title race, Arsenal. But the, the way that they played this season, there's nothing to suggest that they can't do it again. They will only get better because they have severe weak links in that squad. Um, the likes of Xhaka, the likes of Enketia, uh, who they had to bring off the bench this season at times. Uh, even though Reese Nelson had this amazing moment for them, he's not really the kind of player that you want to rely on off the bench. Um, so I think they will plug all these gaps. And luckily for them, I think the gaps are all squad gaps, not really starting 11 gaps. Um, so I think it's only going to get better for them. Um, but yeah, maybe get, get, actually getting better won't be enough to be in a title race next season. Yeah, the like the only thing I am concerned about is, you know, this kind of late season wobble happened last year when they were fighting for top four and then it's happening again. This year, so I, I I don't know if it's a managerial thing because he's brought in good characters, but it's still not really changed when it comes to the crunch. First 19 games, they had 50 points. Next 17 games, they have had only about around 30 points. So it's it's a massive drop-off in form which Arsenal have had in the second half. So will they and- be able to you know build all the people and again challenge next year? Something seems to be wrong in that mentality or maybe even from the coach. See, there is definitely, it's it's valid to ask that question and I'm sure a lot of people are on the same side as you are on that, RK. But the only point for all of us to also remember is that if we were asked when we went into the World Cup, if we were asked what what are the two 
main major contributors to why Arsenal are where they are, I think nine out of ten people would have said Gabriel Jesus and Saliba, and they lost both of them for significant periods of time in the second half of the season as well. So it's not it's like losing a Salah and a Van Dijk, right? So for them, it it was a pretty freak occurrence where two of their best players have gone out at this at a similar point of time. Yes, there will be some amount of mental. Um, I think questions should be raised. It's happened twice now in two seasons, so it should be raised. But I give them some amount of benefit of doubt because of their personnel. And even if even if Jesus went off, chalo, theek hai. You lose Salah. At least you should have somebody like a Jota to bring on. Inketia is not the kind of guy that you should be bringing on in a situation like that. I expect that to change next year. So if you if you lose somebody, I expect the quality that they bring on to be a lot better than it was this season. So at that part, it should get better. I think Martinelli. um should have competition for places in ketia i think should become fourth third or fourth choice for his position so um that way they should get better and um, even even like replacing jaka with somebody with real quality over there i think that could be a game changer for them as well so i expect them to get better but yeah i'm not ruling out completely that they do have a mental thing to work on yeah this this potentially a lot of incoming and outgoing chatter for arsenal in the summer window but talking of incoming and outgoing uh, burnley and sheffield united have been promoted to the premier league and one of luton or coventry will join them they're uh, facing each other in the playoff final interestingly luton are the only team to have benefited from the parachute payments and not have played in the premier league because they were part of the first division in the last season before it became the premier league and got relegated and have never been back so that's both of these teams have their stories about flirting with uh, administration being in the conference or vanarama league where rexham was popularly this season etc etc and both of them are here both of them have their stories and only one of them will make it to the promised land next season so we'll we'll talk about them further in detail once this playoff final is done but uh, just rounding off on uh, europe barcelona are champions they won at espanyol and then quite literally had to run off the pitch because the espanyol ultras invaded the pitch they were doing some weird form of ringa ringa roses and had to run off really uh, napoli also right <laughs> what you know you Like you don't have a right to do that on your own ground. It was, it was that comical and that lame. Whatever they were doing there, and they were doing that at their city rivals. They're basically a fierce rival in every sense of the word. But anyway, I think what are our takes on Javi and his team? They pulled all those levers, but it's finally come to fruition for them, right? It's it's worked for them. Whatever you say about the way they got there. Yeah, I think uh, uh, we were discussing Barca earlier in the season as well when uh, the like the Europa ties with United were going on, and uh, uh, you know that was the time when United were also on a good run. And Barca, like it seemed quite obvious that although they had that you know really poor run in the Champions League, but when you watch them play, you can see that their fundamentals are better, and you know have to give it to Xavi that I don't know how far he's going to go or. you know how how serious a manager he is but definitely he's brought a really good structure he's done really well with with barca made them into a really good pressing unit made them i mean you know uh, somewhat tactically flexible as well so uh, even though spanish league 
uh, is only a, maybe a two or three team league, but uh, you know probably it's better than the Premier League, which is a one team league right now. So it's it's not that easy to you know win a league against Atletico and Real Madrid. So I mean kudos to Xavi. Let's see. But uh, to be honest, I haven't read too much about Barca and what are their financial troubles going forward. So I, I'm sure there's more saga in the offing when when it comes to the summer window. For sure, for sure. And I think also Matteo Alemani, who's the finance guy who masterminded all these uh, all this financial revival, I think he, he was in talks with Aston Villa about taking over there. So you're, you're comparing the pull of a Barcelona with an Aston Villa. So also tells you how far ahead the Premier League is in terms of at least money, if, if not prestige and all. But uh, we shall see how that pans out. But uh, listeners would have, not listeners, uh, people who follow us on TikTok and Instagram would have seen pictures and videos being posted of some skies in Italy where after Naples, uh, after Napoli had won the Scudetto, the sky was basically lit up like from end to end. It's been a long wait for Napoli, but they celebrated like in proper good style and I think deserve champions this season will be fun to it's, see it's what the year of the light blue is it you have you have Napoli you have every the every every year is the year of the light blue in England at least man bloody yeah it's, we are the farmers league and, and of course as as Andy Mitten pointed out Coventry City it'll it'll only just get confirmed if Coventry City basically uh, make it through to the Premier League then it's definitely Sky blue or light blue everywhere. Definitely not dark blue, unfortunately. Yeah, just going to the the Napoli scenes, it was just just out of this world. Uh, everybody and anybody who there were there were actually photos from people flying over Napoli at that point of time as well. It is quite incredible to see. <clears throat> Italy is such a unique place, man, for football. It's so incredibly passionate, and um, it has good and bad also. Of course, of course, you have all the bad stuff where. There's so much racist and neo-Nazi level stuff that happens there once in a while. But the good stuff is just incredible. I don't know whether you guys caught it, but the Milan team uh, standing at the edge of their pitch and getting literally yelled at, a proper yelling from their ultras. And they're all standing in attention like they're in school uh, and just sitting there and taking it. That's so unique. You don't see that anywhere else in the world. Um, Italy is such a, a crazy place, but... Here's hoping it's crazy enough to beat City in the Champions League final. And you know, it's it's been a great year for uh, like Diego Maradona from up uh, up in the heavens. First Argentina, you know, uh, like uh, like for the first time after he passed away, and uh, like they have won the World Cup in 36 years, and then Napoli won the uh, you know uh, uh, like the title for the first time since uh, like the last time they won was with Maradona. So, I mean, both the teams very close to Maradona have done well this year. Yeah, and just to call out, uh, Radha said Italy is this fun place. I think last four years, four different teams have won the Scudetto there. So, yeah, it, that's definitely more fun as compared to the Premier League where, was it Martin Tyler who was over this weekend or something? He was like, oh, this is such an exciting league, etc., etc. This is not a one-horse race and Man City are about to win their fifth title in six years or something like that. So, not exactly sure... I do understand that it is exciting probably below the first position, but that basically makes us probably in line with Bundesliga maybe. 
but but also the probably the only times that city haven't faced the challenges when united finished second so 1718 there was no title race when united finished second 2020 21 there was no title race when united finished a long way behind other than that liverpool probably stressed them twice and arsenal to be fair were far ahead uh, at one point so it's not been that easy for city as well but of course the team who wins that's the name you remember so yeah it's been pretty one sided when you look at the winners yeah i think the only team that city need to fear is probably the wrath of uefa and fifa with all those 115 charges and let's see what that brings i don't know how long it will take them to charge city with anything considering it took them i don't know 6 years or 5 years to charge ivan tony with his betting offenses and give him 8 months ban which is i would say slightly ridiculous if not very ridiculous considering virtually half the teams in england have a betting sponsor and leagues are sponsored by betting companies pod leading podcasts are sponsored by betting companies etc etc and then you say oh, but you are not supposed to bet you are the only guy who's not supposed to bet but we shall we shall see how that pans out apparently he's not being allowed to go outside england as well to serve his ban so that's potentially something to keep an eye out on but yeah i didn't mention the bundesliga that's still open with two games to go only uh, one point in it between uh, munich and dortmund potentially potentially an upset loading i don't know we here's hoping ashwin will love it so shall we but i don't think it's happening well they are playing leipzig but um, who's in third place but uh, i mean on their day no game is a tough game for bayern munich Uh, I think Dortmund a couple of maybe maybe a month ago were leading and probably had the chance to see this through. But as I don't know who it was, but somebody called Dortmund the Spurs of Bundesliga. They seem to have choked it. Yeah, so I so I called them Spurs, and I can never forgive an insult like that. But uh, yeah, they 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 did choke again, and looks like Bayern should get over the line here. Yeah. Right, listener. So the only thing that's left for us to do is look forward to the games ahead in the Premier League, and we did mention that Newcastle are playing Brighton tonight. That is definitely one with implications at the top end of the table. I think uh, the next time we meet, we would have probably had some more interesting games having been done. Potentially another one with uh, to keep an eye out would have been Man United versus Chelsea, but. I think with the current state both clubs are in this should be and considering it's at home so RK doesn't have the advantage of saying oh but it's away from home so we won't get points this should be a straightforward uh, win for man united I think the top 4 race should be done by then right like two games is what uh, both teams need yeah. so uh, top 4 race unless uh, oh well no I mean if they screw up then it will still be open but most probably the top 4 race uh, should be done and relegation how is that looking do um... I, i think so if if you're talking about newcastle ceiling top 4 then leicester would potentially have gone down as well because leicester are facing newcastle over the weekend so and the way leicester were against liverpool on monday it doesn't look like they've got anything left to give i think they're just crawling to the end of the season and preparing for their next next stint in the championship and Which somehow everton and daish as to who is going to I, survive 
I think Daesh will survive and I think that's pri- primarily because of this Brighton game that they've somehow suddenly won and Brighton turned into Leeds or Leicester for a day and lost 5-1 at home. It's, it is just weird, but I think that's just given them that enough of a boost that uh, I think it's going to be Leeds and Leicester who go down. Yeah, I mean, I can't believe it. They've been the only consistent name in the relegation scrap for the entire season and it looks like they might <laughs> they might escape after all Everton I mean uh, and yeah Leeds probably Leeds and Leicester I think yeah I think it's going to be down for them who are Leeds playing for the last two games oh Leeds are playing West Ham away and Tottenham at home tough tough games I think Leeds are done for Leicester man I really hope they pull something out but I don't see that happening either who do but you see I, Matt, uh, you know with West Ham uh, West Ham being in a good position in the conference league and with the premier league season kind of dusted it uh, it might not be you know as tough as it uh, looks but yeah i mean everton having the better fixtures for sure yeah everton are facing teams who have nothing to do they're already on the beach wolves and bournemouth so they can just chillax and have fun but who do you see uh, if leicester go down who do you see madison going to madison telemans the like of them i don't see them playing in the championship for sure no, no, no chance. There's no chance that Madison and Telemann stay at Leicester if they go down. I mean, um, now who is a? I mean, it's a, it's a good question. I was there was some chat on the group um, um, the other day about signing a, um, a replacement or sorry, a backup for Bruno Fernandez. I mean, it's it's a it's a good shout. I would say. I think uh, um, he's not very similar in the styles of play, but he's an absolutely a top-level attacking midfielder that United can can use. At, at the same time, he's been linked with Arsenal for almost every season for the last three, four years. And Arsenal, no matter what happens, uh, death taxes and Arsenal buying an attacking midfielder. So, you, you, you never know, probably Madison goes there. Um, yeah, I think one of the top six for sure. And Telemans probably will lead the league. I don't see him signing... Um, so I think there was an opportunity, like a lot of people were looking for midfielders and I think last season there was a lot of chat that Telemans might be sold, but there was an opportunity and it wasn't picked up by any of the top five, top six teams. So probably he's going to leave uh, England in that case. And Harvey Barnes also might be a real candidate for one of the top six. He's been probably one of the few players who have had a standout season by their own standards. Uh, 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 I'm not sure, but probably he's also had double-digit uh, Premier League goals this season. So, I, I it would not be a big surprise for me to, you know, see Harvey Barnes join someone like a Spurs or a Newcastle. I mean, Newcastle could very well benefit from, you know, some, uh, you know, getting some of these players. Yeah, of course. Newcastle is a great shot. I keep forgetting them. Yeah, I think uh, they could be in the reckoning for all three of these players. For, for all you know. But as RK was talking about it and said Harvey Barnes, and I was just thinking of one name. I think Harvey Barnes is a pakka, perfect Spurs level signing. Like, I feel like Spurs are going to sign Harvey Barnes. And don't get me wrong, I think Harvey Barnes is a, he's a really nice player and, and he's very talented and he's exciting to watch. But he seems like the kind of guy that Spurs will buy, not know what to do with and he'll just end up becoming one of the many people on the Spurs bench and off and on and probably not being a successful move. Uh, do we see any of these uh, fullbacks slash wingbacks going to a top six team? There might be some spaces open. So the likes of Ricardo Pereira or 
Castagna, they might they might also be of interest to some teams. I'm a huge fan of Ricardo. I'm, I absolutely love Ricardo, but I think he's not been. I don't think he's dependable. He's missed a lot of football over the last two years uh, for some reason, injury or uh, something or the other. Castagna as well has actually lost a lot of football as well. So I I'm sure there are teams that can take them, but they've not really inspired a lot of confidence in terms of availability. Yeah. I think uh, with that listener, we have ensured that Leicester City will not only beat the odds, but they will also beat the drop. <laughs> they, now they will win both their games. All these guys will stay put and they'll be at, still at the King Power Stadium next season. Just, but, just for the sake of spicing up the top four battle, let's hope it happens. <laughs> man, man, we got suckered into this. We got properly suckered into this and we ended up... What have we done? We made the Cardinals sin. We we should have learnt by now. 36 games in, we should have learnt by now. My God. Anyway, anyway, we shall see, Lister. We shall see. As shall you, I'm sure. Uh, and when we uh, connect next time, I think there'll be slightly more clarity on what's happening. In the meantime, all we can do is uh, wish you a good evening, afternoon or morning, whenever you're listening. And we'll see you next time. Have fun. Bye.